Well, good morning. I'm not going to do a poll here, but I'm just curious, you know, seeing as we're in this health series, how many of you guys have remained faithful to whatever physical pledge you made to show up in the gym and eat different this year? All right, we're, 20, we're 22 days into the year, right? All right, I see one hand. Hallelujah. All right, a couple, a couple of hands there. I did consult my trainer, and he said usually by this point, I don't know, the percentage of people that are still there was like really, really low, people who are still in their commitments to whatever they started the year in. Which brings us to our Vital Signs series that we are exploring together in the beginning of the year here. Um, let me just say this before I get into today's particular vital sign. Why, why a Vital Signs series. Um, well, I think I, I'm going to say this would be my opinion, but I think it would be shared by quite a few pastors and leaders in the body of Christ today that in the Western world, it's not just in America, it's in the westernized world, we are having a spiritual health crisis. Now, you're used to hearing that term, health crisis. You're used to hearing that and you know a lot about that in the realm of Obamacare and how do we arrange for health. You see, we know a lot about the physical dimensions of our world, and our world will lull you to sleep and help you to not pay attention to the spiritual dimensions of your life. And so there is a massive health crisis spiritually for Christians, and, and the, the great difficulty of it is I would say most Christians don't know that they're in poor health because they've begun to live their life in a way that they get used to the symptoms, they get used to the lack of energy, the lack of appetite, the lack of compelling desire for God that becomes this consuming thing, right? If you were walking around every day telling people physically that you lacked appetite, I just, you know, I just, people put food in front of you, you're kind of like, you know, you start skipping meals, you don't pay attention to that. I mean, on the, you begin to kind of look emaciated a bit, but you're, you know, you're not a, you know, well, your problem is you don't, you're not hungry. How many Christians today are just not hungry? They just don't have an appetite. They can walk past a spiritual meal in a second and not make time for that because they don't realize they're not healthy. And so part of what we're doing with vital signs is sort of learning to check ourselves to see, is your spiritual body, if you will, telling you it's healthy? Right, so you walk in to, you have an appointment to have your health check. You walk in, you know, doctor goes through a few things. You know, he, he does this, right? He's doing something right there. He puts a stethoscope on your chest, on your back. He's doing something right there. They wrap that thing around your arm, pumping up real tight. They're doing something right there. So if they took that thing off and you read it, right? If you go to the drugstore, you can do this. And the thing said 185 over 120. How many of y'all, I just said those numbers to you, that didn't mean anything to you. How many of you guys, come on, raise your hands, be honest. You're like, you wouldn't know, it's like, does that mean you won the lottery? 185 over 120, everything's good to go, we're A-OK, -okay. let's just keep going. Okay, if your blood pressure is 185 over 120, you need to immediately go do something about it. Right, some of you guys who know something about blood pressure are, are getting that. But you understand there's a bunch of us in the room right just now who had no idea, 185 over 120, that's... Is that good? All right, there's a spiritual dimension to our lives that, you know, when you pick up and you strap these things on and you check your 
pulse and you find out what your number is spiritually and what kind of appetite you have for the word of God, what kind of interaction you're having with the Holy Spirit, how your breathing is spiritually. And your number comes back to you and it's 185 over 120 something. Something in you needs to tell you, you are not healthy. But in the Christian universe in the West, there's nothing like that. And then we sit with each other, if, if we manage to gain an access of fellowship together, and we hear other people have got a prayer life that's, you know, a 180 over 120 prayer life and a 180 over 120 to read their Bible time, and they gather and minister and give their life away at a 180 and 120 rate. And so it becomes normal. I guess normal blood pressure is 180 over 120. Normal Bible reading is seldom every once in a while. Normal ministry and serving is uh, maybe you do, maybe you don't. That's become the normal Christian universe. Right? Well, I'm here to tell you from a medical standpoint, that's unhealthy. And we might need to strap on some gear and discover what is my spiritual life saying back to me? What numbers is it spitting out at me to let me know, Keith, you're not healthy, man. You may get used to doing life that way, but you're not healthy. Right, so that's what we're trying to discover here in this series. Now, here, here's the, the program, right? We're, we're going to discover these vital signs. We're just going through a handful of them, truly the basics, vital signs of spirituality. Um, you're asked to take a questionnaire, right? So if you haven't gone online and found your questionnaire and filled it out and just answered some questions about what your life is like, that's kind of like stra questionnaire is like strapping on some gear and letting it kind of just say, this is what my spiritual life is like. And so you just answer some questions. And then the next thing you do with that, in addition to what we're doing here on Sunday mornings, is, you know, you, you join a health club, right? Get in a, get in a covenant group and, and talk through these things and grow in these areas. Become intentional. I know we're 20-something days into January. We've already lost our intentionality in the, in the health realm. You cannot lose your intentionality in a fallen world spiritually. It, it has a gravitational pull. If you, if you sort of take your hands off the wheel, the gravity of a fallen world will suck the spiritual life out of you. So if you're kind of like not intentional about your spiritual life, can I just tell you right now, I promise you, you are here today unhealthy. Because the fallen world will never, never encourage and strengthen spiritual things in your life. It will never do it. So you need to be intentional. Uh, and then the last thing we're asking you to do, and this is going to take some time with you, and we've already started many meetings already, is for you to come in for a personal visit to get a spiritual health checkup with a pastor or one of the elders, just so that you can have a sense of, hey, how am I doing? Here's what's going on with me. And you can get an outside perspective, and maybe in one of those meetings will tell you, hey, 180 over 120. Is that good? No, it's not good. Uh, or, hey, looks great. That's wonderful. Uh, Okay, so this is our long-term plan. Today, you're going to get introduced to cardiopulmonary Christianity. I know it's a big fancy title. That's what we do here. You're going to walk out of here with a medical degree. By the time we're done here, you can work in a hospital. Um, you know, one of the things that, that nobody's paying attention to in our day-to-day -day life is the very, very, very basics of your existence. Your breathing and your heart beating. Right? So those are two things you don't have to be intentional about. They're just kind of automatically happening. 
but they are the very basic definers of whether or not you're alive. Right? The metric for, is Ray alive today? If the paramedics had to show up and Ray's unconscious and he can't speak for himself, the two things the paramedics are going to do, they're going to they're try and find breath, they're going to listen for breath, and they're going to try and find a pulse. And if they don't find breath and pulse, then you are officially dead. Right? So this cardiopulmonary, right? the, the, the pulmonary dimension, as, as Evan shared last week, our lungs are taking in that which is vital to our existence. Everybody knows that you need oxygen to survive, right? And then you get, you get dunked underwater for a moment, even by somebody who's just playing with you. It doesn't take long. I mean, you can hold your breath for, you know, a little while, but let somebody who's big and who you don't trust dunk you underwater. Instantly, it doesn't matter whether you can hold your breath for a minute, Within 10 seconds, you're going to be freaking out, right? Because you know I need oxygen, right? So that we're designed in our bodies to acquire that which is outside of us. So we go out and we get some oxygen. We take it in. The lungs take it in. Then there's this cardio dimension to us where the heart and the bloodstream and the cardiovascular, all the veins and arteries and capillaries, takes that oxygen and the heart pumps it into our bodies and it travels all the way to the extremities, every part of us, right? Now, here's, here's some fun facts for you. I need somebody medically to verify some of these, although I verified them, they sound ridiculously inaccurate. All right. Did you know that of the veins, arteries, and capillaries, many of them are microscopic, if you stretch them out end to end to end to end to end, just yours, they would stretch out 60 thousand miles i looked at that i thought that's got to be wrong there's no way that's like two and a half times around the earth but that's the number that everywhere in science i could find right so you're you're quite an interesting network that all that stuff is designed to do primarily is to transfer oxygen into your body right your heart is going to pump a hundred thousand times a day 2.5 billion times in your lifetime, your heart is going to pump. And every time it pumps, it's going to launch blood enriched with oxygen into every dimension of your life. It's going to pump 2,000 gallons of blood a day. That little pump in your chest is doing that. Because your body desperately needs life-sustaining oxygen, right? If you shut off the oxygen supply for a moment... Your brain, in a matter of three to five minutes, begins to die. You'll, you run the risk of brain damage in just three to five minutes if your brain does not have oxygen. Right? So in a physical sense, this heart, this blood system, this transference of oxygen is, is playing a massive role in our lives, our health. It's a very basic thing, and it's critical to our health. And there's a little bit of mystery in this, right? A beating heart. Isn't that a little mysterious to you? Right? When you came into existence, at some point in the womb, for the first time, boom, boom, a heartbeat. For the first time. Isn't that just strange? What, what told that heart, now, go, boom, 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 boom. And what told it to beat again? Why didn't it just go, all right, that's my one time, boom, boom, I'm done. No, no, it it starts and it's got 2.5 billion more ahead of it. And it's just going to do it again and do it again and do it again. 
And it's going to reach a point somewhere later where it just decides, done, that was my last one. But this is mysterious, isn't it? Well, there's a, a lot of transfer from the physical element into the spiritual element. There's a great deal of mystery in what takes place in our lives spiritually. And as, as Evan shared with us last week, our lives spiritually critically need something. The way our bodies have to have oxygen or, or there's a panic, we are created for the knowledge and awareness and reality of God himself to flow through us. Right, now listen, there's all kinds of knowledge that you and I want to acquire out there, but we are designed for our spiritual heart to beat and be sustained in the knowledge of God, in knowing him. Most important thing about our existence is knowing God. And in the same way that oxygen comes to us, you know, God's knowing God comes to us a certain way. Comes to us by the word of God, most clearly. It, it comes in other ways, but it comes from us primarily by words. Come to us and impart the knowledge of God to us. And then the Holy Spirit mysteriously pumps inside of us and transfers that oxygen, that knowledge of God into every aspect of our being. And so I'm going to pick up our physical illustration here and apply it to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say the Holy Spirit is the heart of the Christian life, right? When you come alive, when you get your first spiritual heartbeat, that first moment spiritually of boom, that's the Holy Spirit. You come alive with the Spirit and the Spirit does what the heart does in our body, transfers life into all that we are. And so... Here's a vital concern, right? These are, these are our vital signs, vital concern, right? We all, you know this if you've gotten older and you've studied what actually takes people's lives. What's the, the number one cause of death for man continues to be heart-related issues, heart disease. Number one cause of death. Matter of fact, I think the top five are all cardiopulmonary related. They have to do with respiratory issues, et cetera. This is a very basic, vital element to our lives. And so I want to examine just four things today about the Holy Spirit's life in us and ministry to us. If you want to find out, do I have a healthy heart, right? Or do I have some heart disease going on in my spiritual life as it pertains to the heartbeat of the Holy Spirit? Well, these are four areas I want us to pay attention to. And let them speak to us to figure out, am I healthy as a Christian? All right, here's the four. The first one is this. The Holy Spirit imparts life to us. Turn to John chapter 3 with me. We get our life spiritually from the Holy Spirit. He is the bringer of life. John chapter 3. Very familiar story, but I just wanted to make sure we catch some of the nuances of, of what's very familiar to us. Here, but again, vital signs are about very basic things. And so our unhealthiness usually has to do with that we're just not doing the basics very well. John chapter 3, verse 1 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. All right, so let me just not assume everybody knows anything about Nicodemus or the fact that he was a ruler of the Jews. All right, that would make this man a prominent leading religious man, right? The Jews were a religious nation. 
So they were a gathering of people whose centerpiece was about the God who had created them. For him to be a ruler and a leader among them, he was a leader in religious things. So this is a, a religious man Jesus is going to be having a conversation with. Verse 2, it says, This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit, right? right Jesus is just covering the basics. You are a two-dimensional creature. You've got a physical reality and an immaterial reality about you. So he's addressing that other category of life that tends to be neglected even in his day. Verse 7, do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes so it is with everyone who is born of the spirit right so there's this mystery dimension that suddenly like the wind just suddenly blows doesn't it right you're just standing there all of a sudden trees are bending the wind just showed up well in a similar way this mysterious life comes to us and suddenly Become alive. And Jesus is introducing this to Nicodemus. But what, you know, let it capture our attention. Because Jesus kind of cuts to the chase here, right? There's this night meeting taking place. A religious man, Jesus is used to dealing with religious people. They come, they ask questions, they debate, they share their views on what life ought to be like. They've got ideas, they press them against Jesus, they try to learn a few things. They've got an agenda. Right? And maybe some of their agenda is, hey, we've heard that Jesus is this religious teacher. He's got these really cool ideas. Well, I, I want to get some of his ideas and put them into my repertoire. I want to I live with some of his ideas and I want to teach some of his ideas. All right, that's the agenda that this man is coming to Jesus with. And Jesus cuts to the chase. He doesn't even, he doesn't even walk down the road of whatever Nicodemus is coming to. Jesus just sideswipes him. Says Nicodemus, um, your real issue here, it's not for you to gain a little bit more religious knowledge. It's not for you to find another point to debate. It's not for you to win an argument or get something that will help you in an argument. That's not your need. Nicodemus, you need oxygen. You need life. Your issue is you don't have life, Nicodemus. And what's interesting is this is a man who's religious but he doesn't get that Jesus is talking about spiritual life, life on the inside. Look what him and his question is a natural question, isn't it? He's a natural-minded religious man asking a natural-minded question. You said something about being born again. My only reference point was the time that I was physically born. So do I need to redo that? What, what are you saying? That's, a, that's strange to me. I don't get it. That's a, all of us humbly take a lesson. Can't all of us turn into this guy? 
become Nicodemuses, who we come to Jesus with all kinds of questions about the natural realm that we live in and natural things in our lives. We want him to comment on them, give us a tip, how to have a better version of whatever it is that we have. Teach us some techniques so that we can improve the the realm that we're focused on. And Jesus turns and says, but you have overlooked the realm that matters the most. And he draws his attention to being born again. John Piper says, what happens in the new birth is not getting new religion, but getting new life. Nicodemus did not need religion. He needed life, spiritual life. What happens in the new birth is that life comes into being, listen, that was not there before. That's big. New life happens at new birth. This is not religious activity or discipline or decision. This is the coming into being of life, right? So whatever Jesus is describing, it's going to make this man something he was not before, A new life is going to appear, something which was not there. It's not like he needs to learn to tap into it. It's not like he needs to learn a few things to take some better steps in it. That's religion. You can do that with religion. You can do that with human ideas about how to live moral lives, how to lead a better moral life, how to get up a little bit earlier, how to treat people a little bit better. That's not where Jesus goes. Just Nicodemus, your real need is is on the invisible dimension inside of you where you don't have life. Let me say it this way. I think I wrote this out in your outline. The most important thing about you and your spirituality is whether you have been born again by the Holy Spirit. Question, does that define the most important dimension of your spiritual life? Nicodemus had questions. Nicodemus had ideas. Nicodemus has been leading a religious life, right? He's he's living his life a certain way. He's got some parameters. He's got some things that you do and some things you don't do. And he comes to Jesus with this question, and it's the wrong question. In the realm of religion, he needed to be asking a different question. All right, so question for us is, is there something else that we pay more attention to than this issue to define us? Does the issue of whether or not you are born again by the Holy Spirit, whether you have received spiritual life from God in the person of the Holy Spirit, does anything define your religion more than that? Well, that's a big question, because for Nicodemus, something did. And for a portion of my life, something did. I had a conversation with a lady a number of years ago where we were kind of talking through something in this, this arena. And she, she was like me, so I shared a lot of her background. She, she was like me. She grew up here in New Orleans. She grew up Catholic. And so for her, as was for me, I so identified with her. For her, the centerpiece of her religion was the Eucharist was communion, right? And growing up Catholic, listen, that was a massive deal for me. When I I came to a point where I was reading the Bible and I actually had become born again as a teenager, I I wrestled with what do I do at this moment because, you know, I grew up Catholic and so I, I believed the Eucharist and communion was at the centerpiece of all that it meant to be in relationship with God. 
And so I, it's like I, I couldn't part with that, but yet I was seeing some things in the Bible that was directing me differently. So that was a real wrestling point. And so I, I had this conversation with her. I, I said, well, you know, if you just be fair to the scriptures and you pick them up and you read them and you listen for what's at the center of this relationship with God, I said, quite honestly, you're not going to find that the Eucharist and communion is at the center. You're, you're going to find that the most defining thing about our relationship with God is whether or not I have received the Holy Spirit to give me life. And we do that by faith. I said, so you're going to find all over the New Testament, the emphasis is on new spiritual life that comes by faith. I said, that's going to be everywhere. The communion is not going to find as much press as that. Right? So you see that in this passage here, right? Just go back to this passage. Where does Jesus go? He's just introduced a concept that's made Nicodemus do this dog whistle look. You know, he's kind of, what, what are you talking about being born again? And now he's going to try and explain to him what that is. Right, look in verse 9. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, are, are you the teacher of Israel? And you do not understand these things? When Jesus says you must be born of the water and the spirit, he, he's just quoting Ezekiel. If you have read Ezekiel, you know what I'm talking about right here. It's this day in which God sprinkles clean water on you and deals with your sin and forgives you. And the spirit comes and he dwells inside of you. And it's no longer laws written on tablets, but it's now it's dwelling in your heart. Nicodemus, did you read Ezekiel? That's almost what Jesus is saying to him. Look down in verse 14. Now watch where he goes for an explanation. He says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. How do you get this born again life? Do you crawl inside your mother's room again? No. You believe in the Lord Jesus and you will receive this life, right? Verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned, right? So where's the emphasis in the New Testament as it's associated with receiving this new life? Well, you receive this life, which everybody needs. It is the spiritual oxygen of our lives. You receive this life by believing, right? Jesus would go on later in John chapter 7, and say it this way, different crowd, different setting. He says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now listen, this is a massively important thing to make sure that you and I understand. It determines the way we live our Christian life, but it also determines your understanding of how anybody gets right with God. Nicodemus is a moral man more than likely much more moral than many people in the world. But apparently your morality can't make you right with God. 
Because Jesus doesn't say, hey, Nicodemus, you're doing great. Just hang in there. Let me give you a couple of tips, you know. Here's a few rules and suggestions. Maybe do this every day. Pray this way every day. Do these things every day. He stares into this moral man who, who believes in the creator. I mean, he's, he's got a lot going for him. And he stares into him and he says, you are dead spiritually. You need life. How do you get that life? And Jesus goes on to say, well, the Father sent the Son. That's whosoever will believe in him. Well, can you just believe anything? Can't you just believe in being a better person? Can't you believe in Allah and the prophet Muhammad? Can't you just believe a variety of things in the religious category? Or is Jesus standing here saying, no, this is if you believe in me because I'm the one sent by God to reconcile you to the Father. And that reconciliation is a breaking down of the barrier of sin because I'm the only one who's going to lead a perfect life, shed my blood, and let it be applied to your life so that all your sins can be forgiven so there's no longer a barrier between you and God. I'm the only one who can do that. Where else will you put your belief? And when I do that, I will break that barrier down and the Father will give you the Holy Spirit and you will be born again. And that's what you need. Right, so can't we just be better people? Doesn't that work? Well, you know, it makes for a nicer gathering. <laughs> Family meals are nicer. If we just decide we're going to be nicer people, sure. But Nicodemus was a nice guy. I'm sure he was. But he needed to be born again. Your heart's got to beat for the first time. At some point, you get your first heartbeat, right? Now, there is this thing in Scripture. So this idea generates a concept here, right? If you will, Jesus shows up like a good paramedic, and Nicodemus is on the scene, and the first thing Jesus does to him is he reaches out and he does this to him spiritually. Nicodemus is saying, so, Jesus, so glad to see you. Jesus is checking his pulse. Wants to have a conversation with him. Jesus interrupts his conversation and says, let's not talk about that. Dude, you're dead. <laughs> I'm checking your pulse and you got no life in you. Right? This is an interesting thing for us. Culturally, it's an interesting thing. I grew up in a culture where no one checked my pulse until I was about 14 years old. Everybody assumed they were alive. Everybody religious around me assumed that they were alive. And therefore, they assumed that I was alive. And then I went to a little Bible study in a high school and got exposed to the Bible and I found out the Bible doesn't assume you're alive. As a matter of fact, the Bible assumes the opposite. The Bible assumes you're dead and that your real need is to come to life. That was new. That was massively new for me. Because I just figured if I went to church, went to confession, you know, sometimes, tried to keep away from doing the really, really, really bad stuff. I mean, I had a pretty bad resume even at that point in life but you know in my mind there were always worse people doing worse things so somehow God was okay with me you know he had to be you know okay I mean I go to church 
know, I had some religious sensitivities about me. But it was earth-shattering for somebody to put their fingers on my spiritual life and say, Keith, you're, you're dead. What? What are you talking about I'm dead? See, th- this, is a, this is a little bit of a weird, awkward thing to do, isn't it? You ever had your pulse checked by somebody? Right? You ever have Christians get around you and check your pulse? It feels a little awkward. Until you figure this out, until you've gotten around this a good bit, until you figure out that's what Jesus was doing with Nicodemus. But, you know, you come into a church, you know, I say this especially for, you know, if you're new to the church setting and you've come in and, and, and people are sort of buttoning your business a little bit and they're quizzing you. You ever get quizzed by other Christians? Doesn't that feel awkward? You know, people are asking you, so, so, you know, what do you think about this? Or, you know, they kind of smooth their way in there, you know, maybe use the message. So what do you think about that message? So, so what, do you, you know, what do you believe about this? And what do you believe about that? And they start asking you questions. What are they trying to figure out? They're trying to figure out if you've got a pulse or not. Well, how do you take someone's pulse? Well, according to Jesus, for you to have life, you have to believe a certain thing. So they're fishing around in what you believe to check your pulse, to see if you're alive. Now, listen. Uh, I do want to make a case for the fact that that's vital that we do. It's a vital sign, and it's vital that we do that as Christians. I also want to make a case for the fact that there are some people who need to learn to do that in a way that's not so weird and offensive. (laughs) Right? But, you know, just for the sake of, of argument... Whatever it is you're about in your life, whatever you're running hard towards, whoever you want to be and however you want to look and goals, et cetera, that you have, uh, you know, Nicodemus had some of that. And the first thing Jesus did was go, here, let me see your hand. Nicodemus, dude, you need to be born again, like quickly. (laughs) You have got a spiritual problem in your life. So, you know, you come in, you come in for counseling, you know, you've come to the church a couple of times and... You're having some marriage, marital problems, your outlook on life, going through some depression, whatever. And you come in and you just say, and you sit down with Pastor Peter or whoever, and the first thing they're going to want to try and figure out is, do you have a pulse? Because what good does it do you if we help you fix your marriage and you've got no heartbeat, right? Dead people don't need good marriages, do they? They need to come alive. So the priority here that Jesus sets is you need to come alive. And when you come alive, the pulse is an interesting thing. Everybody check their pulse. You know how to check your pulse? Isn't it an interesting thing? Do you feel that? Yeah, it's actually an inner expression that's finding its way out, isn't it? Right? Deep inside of you, your heart is beating. Life is emanating. And it's finding an expression here. And it's finding it all over your body, right? But you found a little spot where you can feel it. Because there is a life in you. This, this is much more than just form and function and outward activity. Something actually is going on on the inside of you. The heart is, boom, with force, beating. And in 20 seconds, it will cause your blood to go all the way throughout your body and come back. 2,000 gallons in a day. 
There's some living force behind that. Do you understand when you come alive spiritually, there is a heartbeat in you. There is a life in you. There is another personage inside of you making you alive in the spirit and giving you a pulse that somebody can look at your life, touch your life, and feel there's another life in you. This is an interesting quote. Henry Skugel, pastor who wrote this very interesting book back in the 1600s, The Life of God in the Soul of Man. He says this, listen carefully. He says, it is an inward, freeing, and self-moving principle. And those who have made progress in it are not actuated only by external motives, driven merely by threatenings, nor bribed by promises, nor constrained by laws, but a powerfully inclined to that which is good. They are inclined, something on the inside is an appetite that wants something. It's not just you are being corralled into this. A delight in the performance of it. A delight, not just doing it, but a delight in doing it. The love which a pious man bears to God in goodness is not so much by virtue of a command enjoining him so to do as by a new nature instructing and prompting him to it. Nor doth he pay his devotions as an unavoidable tribute, only to appease the divine justice or quiet his clamorous conscience, right? I mean, you could have given a moment ago when Evan took the offering, you could have given out of that. You gave this morning to satisfy the divine justice because somehow in the grand scheme of things that if you don't give to God, something's going to go bad in your life. Your dishwasher's going to break in two weeks. And so all of a sudden, I find a reason to give now. I've got, I've got this reason to give. There's this external set of circumstances out there that I've I got to just go ahead and load up on that. Right? Is, is that what's operating in us? He says, but those religious exercises are the proper emanations of the divine life. The natural employments of the newborn soul. He prays and gives thanks and repents, not only because these things are commanded, but rather because he is sensible of his wants. They become what you want to do. Listen, I feel my heart beating, and I'm healthy as a result of it, but I feel it. Listen, if you stick your fingers on your spiritual pulse and you find I've got no desire to read God's word, to get around him, to find him beautiful and attractive and enjoyable. I don't shove things aside in order to be with him. That, Keith, that just never happens. Are you concerned? Oh, my God, you ought to be. Because you're not feeling anything on the inside going ba-boom, ba-boom. You don't feel a pulse. That pulse comes out in some way. At some point, you want to know God. You want the oxygen of who God is. It's everything to you. Now, listen, it may compete with other things. You may have a hard time pulling it off. It doesn't mean day-to-day -day routines aren't a challenge. But if you're just busy about everything else and there's nothing inside of you that has an appetite, words like this, emanations, 
inclined toward wants and desires and appetite. If that's not in you, you are not a healthy Christian. You are not normal. Run to the hospital. Immediately, you're in desperate shape. Even though you might be coming in here and sitting in a chair week in and week out. If nothing in you wants God and his ways and his kingdom, you may just be a Nicodemus. And your greatest need may really to be born again. And you know, if we're not careful, we kind of find ourselves living this Christian life that's, that's not from the inside out. Christianity is a compelling force on the inside by the Spirit that wants to get out, wants to find its way into our reality. If we're not careful, we turn Christianity into a set of external cues that we're just responding to. Right? Wait for, wait for a, a message that guilts you somehow into doing something for people or for a need. You feel guilted by that. Okay, I'll respond to it. But you know, if you hadn't made me feel guilty about that, I'd leave that alone. We do things out of reasonings that have come to us and shaped us from the outside in. And listen, that's not completely wrong. There's a dimension of our lives that that's not a bad thing. Nicodemus had his life shaped. He did not live like the Greeks. He did not live like the Romans. He lived like a Jew who had been taught God's law and God's ways, and so his morality had boundaries. That's not a bad thing, but it wasn't the whole thing, and it could miss the main thing, and it did. Listen, you you need to pay attention as to whether you feel a pulse or whether you're just a person who's responding to your exterior circumstances, And, and you're a decent religious person, right? You've got a personality that's attracted to people like this. Right? Listen, your adventurous pothead, you know, the dude who wants to drop acid and live in the fast lane, he doesn't want to come hang out with you people. But there are personalities who like people like you. They're conservative, responsible, life feels safe when it's not out of control. That person's not necessarily born again. They just like people who are settled and don't alarm them and weird them out. So you, listen, you can hang out amongst this crowd and feel like, hey, this is my church. And you could be here without spiritual life. That's a pretty big deal. You, you want to know why you'll watch this happen. Kids get raised in a Christian home. Right? So when they're little, they are conforming in some ways to peer pressure. It just so happens that their peers are their mom and dad their brothers and sisters, and maybe a few friends at church. And so they have created a pattern of life, and young people live with that because they don't want to be displeasing. They've got motives to connect with. They want the approval of people in their life. They, you know, they like to be applauded and appreciated, and you know, Christian values are what mom and dad make the most noise about. So they learn to adjust to that. And then they move along in life and get a little bit later, and they kind of get into their teen years, and this thing inside of them that leave and cleave thing begins to kick in. Biblically, it's, that's what you're supposed to do. You're just not supposed to live at home forever. Just news for some. But um, <clears throat> So at some point, you get this message that goes off inside of you, go get married and, and start your own family. So that you kind of begin to gain a little bit of an independence feel 
It's not wrong. You know, families don't freak out when this happens. It's normal. And you're going to now acquire a new set of peers. And so you had peer pressure before, but now you've got a different set of peers. And they're going to press on you in a different way. And they're going to believe certain things and applaud a different set of things now are being applauded than the ones you grew up with. And now you've got to answer the question, what's motivating you to do what you do? You're just living for the applause and appreciation of people because the surroundings have changed and now you're a young adult and they're applauding something different and you find yourself wanting to do that to gain their applause and it doesn't bother you as much that you've lost the applause of mom and dad. That doesn't bother you as much. That freaks you out when you're a kid. But no longer bothers you as much. And you change your patterns of life. You change what you believe. Can I just tell you something? At this point, you are discovering whether you have a pulse or whether or not you were just going through the motions of other people who had a pulse. They live a certain way, I'll live a certain way. Listen, at some point on the inside of you, appetite needs to go off. And you eat not because your mom and dad threaten you with reading the Bible, but because you want God. There's a big difference. Be careful. Because when the people around you change, if there's no pulse, you're going to change right along with them. All right, a couple more things here. Secondly, healthy heart. I'm going to do these quicker. The Spirit leads us into understanding the truth of God's Word, right? The, the ministry of the Spirit is going to transfer spiritual oxygen into our lives, if you will. It's going to take the truth of God and make it come alive to us, transfer it into all of our ways of thinking and our ways of doing life. John chapter 14, Jesus said, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus told his disciples. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So there's this operation of the Spirit inside of us that makes lights go on for us spiritually. Things that were mysterious to us or what we didn't care about before, concepts about who God is, how the world operates, all of a sudden, light on, light on. I get that. I see that right? <clears throat> First Corinthians 2 says, it's written what no eye has seen nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Who knows the person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one, listen to this, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. That no one means no one. It means not you on your best day, not me after I get 10 letters behind my name. It means no one. The Holy Spirit has to bring truth to life for us. It says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Understand. Listen, understanding is a pulse. When you put your fingers on your life, 
Do you understand things from God? Do you get things from God? Is the Bible coming to life for you? Not all at once, that's abnormal, but in bits and pieces, it's coming to life. Listen, if that doesn't happen for you, then you're checking your pulse and you're going, I I don't feel anything there. Keith, I picked the Bible up and it's like reading hieroglyphics upside down. I just don't get anything out of it. I just, I'm, I'm just totally not interested in it. Can I just tell you, that's not healthy. That's not normal. Jesus Christ promised you. When the Holy Spirit came, he would lead you into the truth. He would call things to mind. He would bring understanding. If your spiritual life doesn't have those characteristics to it, you are unhealthy. Even though you may be sitting in church week in and week out. I probably think you're not doing that because eventually this becomes very uninteresting. When the activity of the Spirit's not making it go Woo, wow, pop, bam, oh, say that again. You know, if none of that ever happens for you, you don't want to be here. I wouldn't want to be here. Third sign of a healthy heart. The spirit wars against the flesh. This is a healthy activity for you to observe in your life. This is kind of like the spirit's immune system, if you will. Right, do you understand how your immune system operates? Right, something, something comes into your physical body that doesn't belong there. It's got some kind of a, it, it, it's serious, it's got a DNA code. It's got a genetic coding to it that your body sort of tells it, take your wallet out, show me your code. Right? So this thing shows up in your body and your body reads its code and freaks out and says, intruder, intruder, and sounds an alarm and screams for everybody, come help, come help, right? And they all pour into your body white blood cells. The heart pumps it and sends it all throughout the body. Antibodies fly onto the scene of this thing because it knows you don't belong here. You are against us, and we are here to fight you. And, you know, mysteriously, that's what your immune system does. You don't have to wake up in the morning and go, oh, it's Tuesday, i got to remember to turn the immune system on, Right? It just does it. Your immune system does that. Well, you know, in the same way, the spirit wages war against the flesh. Galatians 5. You don't have to wake up on Tuesday and go, oh, shoot, i got to turn the spirit on. It's happening in you. Or is it? It should be. I say, Galatians 5, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Right? So the spirit goes to war on behalf of your health spiritually. And the intruders of the activity of the flesh are at odds. And there's this clash that takes place. And you should be having front row seats to that war every day of your life. And if you're sitting here right now going, Keith, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, then your blood pressure is way out of bounds and you should be concerned. You're not healthy, right? Romans chapter 8 says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, listen, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. 
Right? So there is this spirit inside of you, this life that you don't create who is inside of you. And, and into your body is going to come these, these cries, these dual cries generated by the presence of the Spirit. One is going to be an attack, and the other is going to be an affection that comes into your life. So your spiritual dimension wants to attack things of the flesh. It wants to attack attitudes and practices and sinful ideas that are corrupt, like antibodies want to go after something in your body. It identifies, that's not of God. That's not for us. That's destructive. Hey, everybody, on that thing. And it floods to that location. The Holy Spirit in you does that. But he doesn't just do that. He cries out within you and bears witness with you, partners together with you to where you, by the Spirit, are crying out, Abba, Father. There is affection toward God. That's the operation of the Spirit. So if you're here today... And, and you can't remember the last time the Holy Spirit stepped in and said, ah, ah, don't do that. Stop doing that. I don't like that. If that's foreign to you, or you can't remember the last time your heart spilled over with affection for God. This, this is why I don't get wimpy singing in church. I don't get it. It's a health problem. Listen, I, I was in New York. I'll save this for another message. But I was in New York and, uh, with my boys a couple weeks ago, and we went to the Brooklyn Tabernacle on their Tuesday night prayer meeting. Let me tell you something. I wanted, I wanted my church to have front row seats to learn how to sing. These people sang, man. Their hearts just spilled out with voice. See, the Holy Spirit in us bears witness and it cries out, Abba, Father, there is affection for God. If you lack affection for God, you are not a healthy Christian. This stuff is the basics of the Christian life. So in the Western world, somebody needs to step in and say, you people think you're healthy. Are you kidding me? See, this is why Christians have convictions in their lives. Let me just ask you, you know, don't raise your hand. Life comes to you and presents itself as, is this good or is this bad? Over and over and over again. And if you're doing social media, it comes at you in nonstop, constant stream of somebody is saying something about something. And inside of you, something is going to go off. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Do I applaud that idea or do I give it a thumbs down? Do I like that or not like that? Right? Everywhere in life, we're making some kind of value system assessment. All right, my question, as you engage this fallen world and it throws something in front of you and 99 out of 100 people are standing around going, awesome, huh? Let's go protest. Awesome. Do you jump in on that? What determines what you say, is that good or is it not good? There is this inner life inside of us, the Holy Spirit is able to know what is of the genetic code of God. And he says yes to that and no to that. Do you have convictions? Or do you only develop convictions when externally you're prompted to? Some other Christian in your life makes you feel guilty that you said that on Facebook. Oh, great. 
Okay, my question is, and listen, this is not a perfect thing, right? We live in a fallen world. But where was the Holy Spirit to tell you whether or not that was a good thing to say or not? A healthy Christian has the Holy Spirit in them. Thank God for fellowship and other people in our lives. We needed the mention of that. But the Holy Spirit is in us. That's where we get our life from. Where was the voice of the Spirit? See, if I'm healthy, I'm having a healthy exchange with the voice of the Spirit in my life. That's what makes me healthy. I'm going to cover this last point. The Spirit fills us for extraordinary enablement. Right? Your heart beats somewhere around 72 beats per minute, resting heart rate, somewhere in that neighborhood, a little higher, a little lower. But that's not the only thing your heart does, right? There's, there's other activity of the heart. Right? If you go for a workout, you know you want to try and get your heart into the cardio zone, right? You want to get it beating at an accelerated level because it changes dimensions of your life. It changes the way your physiology is functioning, right? Athletes know something about that. Soldiers know something about that. If you've ever had an intruder in your home, you know something about that. Anybody ever had an intruder in their home? Anybody walk, ever walk in your house after an intruder's been there and you don't know if he's still there or not? Uh, did you have a question as to whether you had a heartbeat at that moment? <laughs> right? I mean, I've had a couple of situations like that where I didn't have to check my pulse. I could just look at my shirt <laughs> and tell I am alive at this moment because my heart was beating out of my chest, right? All of a sudden, the situation demanded something of the heart that was a little different than just sitting in here doing resting heart rate stuff, right? Listen, this is what's happening. Within a couple of minutes during a stressful situation, adrenaline is quickly released into the blood, sending impulses to organs to create a specific response. Adrenaline triggers the body's fight or flight response. This reaction causes air passages to dilate to provide muscles with the oxygen they need to, the, to either fight danger or flee. Adrenaline also triggers the blood vessels to contract, to redirect blood toward major muscle groups, including the heart and lungs. The body's ability to feel pain also decreases as a result of adrenaline, which is why you can continue running from a fighting, da or fighting danger even when injured. When we were in New York, I heard a news story of a guy who, an intruder in New Jersey, came into his house. He fought the guy off, held him down against a fence until the police got there. And then he tells later, he says, I didn't even realize I'd been stabbed twice until after the police arrived. Right? That's what adrenaline does for you. It kind of makes you into a different fighting machine. Adrenaline causes a noticeable increase in strength and performance, as well as a heightened awareness in stressful times. All right. When I pick the Bible up, I find the Holy Spirit operates in us at a resting heart rate. He gives us life. Yep, there's a pulse. Stuff is going on. But the Bible describes something else about the Spirit, a filling with the Spirit that's more like cardio zone. It's more like when you are filled with the Spirit, there's an unusual awareness of the Spirit in your life, an empowerment, a heart beating faster and more aggressive, a flooding into you abilities that just moments ago, you would not have done this. <laughs> you would not have taken this risk. You would not have had this kind of courage. You would not have spoken this way with that kind of power. The Holy Spirit has kicked it up a notch. It's in a different zone now. Listen, 
That's normal Christianity. It's not every moment Christianity. I don't want to make this sound like at every moment that's what you, you know, no. But in the Bible, you find passages like this. Listen to this. And I want you to listen for a moment because I want to pray for us in a moment. Because the West has become an extremely unhealthy gathering of people in this category. Our exchange with the Spirit on an everyday basis is weak. Our exchange in this category is becoming non-existent. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Eric, you can go ahead and come while I'm reading these. Acts chapter 2 finds the day, the moment where the Holy Spirit's activity is coming this way. The day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Right? This is a different manifestation. This is a different heartbeat. This is a different activity of the same Spirit that gives life. He is now giving something in addition to life. Acts 2 verse 17, in the last days, this is how Peter explained this event. In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters are going to do something more than just have a heartbeat. They're going to prophesy. They're going to have visions. They're going to dream dreams. And not just once, but over and over again, throughout their life as they walk with me, there will be these moments. Acts chapter 4, that last passage there. It's a gathering of people in Acts chapter 1 and chapter 2 in the upper room. Acts chapter 4 is not too far removed time-wise from that gathering. This is a similar gathering of pretty much the same set of people. And now they are facing the reality that if we go public, as we are going public, we're going to face persecution, danger, our families could be endangered, torture, loss of life could possibly await us. Peter and John are released from jail. They gather back together and they have a prayer meeting together. And they pray and they call on God. And listen what happens here in Acts chapter 4, verse 31. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So this this is an adrenaline boost right here, right? This is, I'm running into a battle, even though I know it could take my life, it could cause suffering much more than inconvenience in my life. There could be cost here for me and my family, but the adrenaline of the Spirit says, you keep speaking boldly. Why did these people in the first century pull off and upside down, turn the world upside down? Why did they do it? Because the adrenaline inside of them compelled them. The Spirit of God filled them. And they began to do things that they would never have done in the natural of their own strength. Listen. Vital sign, right? Check your pulse. Ask yourself some questions. Do you really have a pulse? Is there something on the inside of you emanating, driving you, giving you an appetite and desires? It pumps out of you. It wants to escape. It wants to express itself. 
And if you are a person who'd say, hey, yeah, um, yeah, I'm, I'm alive. I mean, I know I need to, you know, I could be healthier, but I am alive. Okay, yeah, I do feel a pulse. There is some activity there. And you need to be careful to find that. All right, now my next question to you is, when was the last time you were in the cardio zone? When was the last time the Holy Spirit was beating out of your chest? And I'm going to do something here. I'm going to contradict myself, and I'm going to do something. (laughs) On the one hand, Acts chapter 4, I find people gathered in a prayer meeting, right? This qualifies for a similar meeting. And they're facing circumstances that, that are going to require something beyond resting heart rate. Or they're going to need the filling of the Spirit to pull off what they're going to need to pull off in days ahead. So they have a prayer meeting, and sure enough, God meets them. And they are filled with the Spirit. And they begin to operate out of that filling. Right, somewhere we learn something from this pattern right here. It's not a bad thing to learn, but it is a bad thing to learn. Somewhere in the history of the church... The idea of being filled with the Spirit became equivalent to a concluding moment in a prayer meeting or in a church gathering where we lay hands on one another and hope strange phenomena occur. The reason why the phenomena needed to occur was because they were about to do something that needed the phenomena. They were about to live a life that was going to require a supernatural impartation from God to pull it off. And some of us come forward in meetings and we've got no intention of ever entering the cardio zone. We, we have fallen in love with resting heart rate. We're good with reading our Bible every once in a while, show up for church, maybe make a covenant group meeting every once in a while, but I'm not living on the edge of my Christian life. I'm not pushing out. I'm not taking a chance and sharing the gospel with somebody. I don't do ministry to people. I don't create opportunities to lay hands on the sick and pray for them. I don't intend to do any of that. I just come to church, Keith. I just hope for a good parking space, and I come and sit and hope you motivate me a little bit. But then there's an altar time for how many of y'all would be like, like to be filled with the Spirit? And you know, quite honestly, there's a bunch of swinging and missing that takes place. People come forward for prayer. I don't know that many of them are walking out of here going, I can see this. Oh my gosh, if I had a pulse before, I am overwhelmed by the Spirit right now. I think the major breakdown is we don't intend to do anything with that. And God knows it. These people were living life and death situations. They were going to continue to preach the gospel in the face of jail time and death. And the Holy Spirit came upon them in a filling manner and boldness that could not be stopped got expressed through their lives. And so here's what I, I, wanna, I want us to pray for this this morning. But I just a couple of little questions here I want you to consider. Is there... Some things in your life that need more than resting heart rate for you to pull it off. You're going to need the Spirit of God to fill you and move on you to do something here. All right, so let me just give you a couple of, a couple of possibilities. You are here with a need to be restored and reconciled in a relationship that, quite honestly, you're just afraid to even approach that thing. Fear rules the day, that other person rules the day, you will not do something supernatural toward that. You have not, and you've been avoiding it. 
But what if God wants to break into that situation? What if God wants to use you in a miraculous way to bring a revelation of the love and grace of God into that person's life who's part of your past, who's maybe a part of something you've done wrong? And you're going to need some severe courage to get your heart out of resting heart rate, right? What if the Holy Spirit were to fill you and send you from this building today? with a compelling sense of force on the inside that sends you right to that person to do something that in the natural you'd never do? What if there's something that God's calling on you to do that's going to take unusual faith from you, unusual trust for you to step out in some manner and do something that feels like it's beyond you? You don't have the wherewithal. You don't have the finances for it. You don't feel like you have the abilities to do it. But what if the Holy Spirit filled you and sent you and you had the intention, I'm answering God's call to go and do this. What if, you, what if your intention is to share the gospel tomorrow? What if your intention is to serve and teach other people, open the Bible in a way that you know, you're intimidated? Oh, I could never do that. What, what if that's what God wants for you, to fill you with the Spirit and send you, enabled to do things that you just never would do them on your own? What if, what if you're here this morning and... You have long ago hoisted the little white flag to some habit pattern, some sin issue in your life that it rules the day. It calls the shots. It determines what you do and don't get to do. But what if, what if God filled you with the Spirit and you went from 72 beats a minute to 150-something? I don't know if that killed you or not. I don't know that part. And the Spirit began to operate in that immune system way. And he began to go to war because the Bible has this idea that the, the spirit wages war against the flesh. And then it turns around and says, what if you, by the spirit, are putting the flesh to death? So you're in this and the spirit is in this. But what if God filled you so that that habit could have its last day today? And the power of God released you from that. And you'd have to be interested in being done with that thing. Break allegiances to it. Stop being lazy about it. Listen, there's a heartbeat that tells me I'm alive. There is a racing, pounding heart that tells me God has sent me on a mission into this world. If you can't remember the last time that's happened in your life, you're not healthy, and I'm not healthy. I need that. Amen? Can we pray for that together this morning? Let's stand up together. Father, we are alive because you have sent your spirit in us. And so he is in us right now. He's revealing things to us. He's convicting us. He's making known his thoughts and his desires. He's letting some of us know right now that we've been wayward, we've been neglectful, we're out of bounds. He's letting some perhaps know here that first heartbeat's never happened. Decent Nicodemus-like religious person, but, but the Spirit has not yet come alive in you begin to be a driving internal force on the inside of your life. 
And Father, here's what we want. Lord, we, we want health. We're starting this year focusing on these things because, God, we want to have the healthiest spiritual year we've ever had. That's what we hope for. So, God, at the very center of our ever being healthy is a healthy, beating heart. The operation, the connection, the transference that takes place by the Holy Spirit in our lives. So, Lord, would you help us to know just how disconnected we've come from the Spirit? God, am I here this morning? But the Spirit is just a, a thought on a shelf. It's a doctrinal concept. I don't, I don't feel his nearness. I don't get compelled by him. I don't understand things because of the Spirit. I don't get driven toward risky situations because I'm compelled by the Spirit. Listen, if that describes you, I want you to come forward this morning. I want us to ask for grace from God to freshly fill us for the days ahead. If you just got a description of, you know, my pulse is weak. I don't feel the Spirit the way I know I should and want to. Well, then come forward right now and let us begin to pray. Let us see how God meets us by the Spirit and compels us from the inside out for days ahead. Maybe there are some areas, as I mentioned, that are going to take a level of faith and a level of obedience and a level of trust for you to launch out into those categories. And God this morning is getting your attention to say you don't feel like you could do that because you never could do that until I enable you and compel you and flood your soul with spiritual power. That's what the Holy Spirit has to do for us. Listen, if you're starting 2017 and some kind of priority in your life was to overcome some habit, some addiction, some activity in your life, God has designed your life in such a way that you need a healthy immune system. You need the operation of the Spirit at a healthy, strong level to drive that thing out of your life. It's much more than just you. Be encouraged. This operation of God is much more than just you determining today, I'm going to take this thing seriously. I'm going after this. All right, that's it. I'm done failing in this area. Hey, it's much more than that because you of yourself are like Nicodemus. Still don't have the life to do it. But when you have the Holy Spirit, there is a power that God is going to wage war against the deeds of the flesh inside of you. God is going to awaken desires for you to say no to that and instead say, Abba, Father, my affections are toward you. I want what you want for my life. I don't want this pleasure at the expense of wanting you. If that's how the Spirit operates and he begins to beat faster and faster and harder and harder, I believe he imparts that more and more into our lives and we begin to have an affection for God that we didn't walk in here with. So if you're sensing God is calling you to respond this morning, And I trust, I'm not one that wants everybody to respond because I think there's a lot of unreality in some of our responses. But I trust if you're, if you're not responding this morning, it's because you, you have a healthy awareness that you are healthy. I am healthy. Not perfect. Growing, struggling. There's, there's health taking place inside of me. I hope you're not sitting there in a pew in an unhealthy way saying, hey, 
2017, looking forward to it being just as unhealthy as 2016 was and 2015 was before that. You, you want more of the same, seriously? Are you just not done with, sick and tired of? Can I just beg you on behalf of Christianity in the Western world that you not create and live in some cheap imitation? The world doesn't need fake Christians. It needs people who are passionate, inflamed by the power of God in their lives and are ready to live in a way that is confusing. Makes no sense except the Spirit of God has compelled us to do that. So please, start this year sick and tired of being in a place where you're just not healthy. Quit tolerating it. Quit being okay with it. If your vital signs are coming back to you in ways that are telling you you're not healthy, you're going to have to respond to God and let him meet you. One of the things I see in the New Testament is when people prayed, when we gathered together, we're going to call in the name of the Lord. The Holy Spirit comes however he will. He can interrupt the meeting and come. He can do it in a moment of prayer. He can do it by people laying hands on one another and praying for them. Right? So all those ways are God's ways in the New Testament. So since we're here together, you know, you can pray. But, I, you know, step out in faith for some of you. Come lay your hands on some folks here. Come be led by the Holy Spirit. Come listen carefully for the Holy Spirit to tell you who to come up here to and then ask him why. Why do you want me to go to that person? Listen, we are in need of hearing the voice of God better. So right now, if you're, if you're not up here for prayer, look up here and ask the Holy Spirit, who do you want me to go pray for and why? And see what he tells you. And then just trust him and step out in faith. Come pray for that person. Lay your hands on them and let God impart something through you. Let him flow in your life. Father, thank you for your passion for us to be vibrant and alive and healthy. I pray this morning for your spirit, this person who is the centerpiece of our lives, the one who brings a spiritual heartbeat to us. He's also the one who fills us and compels us to live lives that take courage and sacrifice and risk. So God, as many have come forward for prayer, God, we pray that you would do what you've done here in Scripture. Do what you did in Acts chapter 4. As they gathered together because they were going out to live a life for your glory, your spirit came, shook the place, and filled them with your spirit. God, we pray for that again. We see that as normal. We see it as healthy. God, come this morning. God, those who have been discouraged, God, suddenly encourage them. God, infuse in them a fresh sense of, yes, I can. I can do this. God is with me. I am not afraid. God, no matter how intimidating the voices of opposition are in our lives, God, let us hear your voice this morning. God, invade our space. God, we gathered for prayer this morning. We ask you to do this. God, you are here among us. Spirit of God. Dwell in our midst with power. Touch every conviction in our hearts, God. Install convictions this morning. God, may it be that some of us who have grown dull to your voice suddenly come alive. We stop arguing with you. Stop telling you we're not going to do it that way or maybe that's not really a sin. God, we are going to respond this morning. What do you want for us, God? What do you want me to start? What do you want me to stop? 